0: hello and welcome to episode 3 of ireland's vanishing triangle ireland's vanishing triangle refers to the unexplained disappearances of six young women throughout the eastern and midland regions of the republic of ireland during the 1990s however it has long been suspected that numerous other cases may be linked to the to the aforementioned six cases This podcast will consist of 10 episodes, one case will feature per episode, covering a period of 16 years between 1987 and 2003. So, if you are interested in unsolved mysteries, true crime and a little bit of history, then hopefully this podcast will be for you. Now, to begin episode 3. I would like to start in March of 1993 with the unsolved disappearance of American woman Annie McCarrick who had been living in Ireland since January of 1993 having previously lived in the country between 1987 and 1990 while studying Sociology at Banute University. Now if I could just take you back somewhat in time to March of '93. Paul Keating was re-elected as Australian Prime Minister for a record fifth term. In true crime news, Joey Fisher Jr. was shot dead outside his Texas home. The murder was orchestrated by the mother of his ex-girlfriend after he refused to continue a relationship with her daughter. And in Irish news, permission was granted for the redevelopment of Crow Park Stadium which is now one of the largest stadiums in Europe. The morning of Friday the 26th of March 93 was a quiet morning for 26 year old Annie McCarrick. Annie's two housemates Jill and Ida left the apartment that morning at 9am to spend a weekend in the countryside leaving Annie alone to spend the morning knitting at their apartment in a place known as St. Catherine's Court within the South Dublin suburb of Sandy Mount. By 11am, Annie decided to leave her apartment and walk to Sandy Mount Village to visit the bank and do some shopping. Firstly, Annie went to Queensworth, now known as Tesco's, to buy ingredients for apple tarts that would be sold at Cafe Java on Leeson Street, where Annie worked. After buying the ingredients Annie went to the AIB bank to change her address to Sandy Mount from Clendalkin in the south west of Dublin where she had lived briefly when she returned to Ireland in early January of 93 with her friend Hilary Brady on Cherrywood Avenue. Just before 3pm that day Annie decided to walk home, a walk that would take roughly 5 minutes. Throughout that day Annie also made two phone calls. She first called her friend Ann O'Dwyer to see if she would like to go walking with her in the Dublin and Wicklow Mountains. But Annie's friend had recently injured her foot and declined the invitation. Annie then called her friend Hilary Brady to arrange a dinner party with him and his partner Rita Fortune for the following day at Annie's apartment. At 3.15 p.m. Annie was seen leaving her apartment by a maintenance man named Bernard Sheeran. A few minutes later Annie was seen walking along New Grove Avenue towards a bus stop where she boarded the number 18 bus that would take her to the South Dublin suburb known as Ranelagh. Annie was later seen in Ranelagh by a former work colleague, queuing for the number 44 bus at roughly 4pm, which would take her to Enniskerry in the Dublin and Wicklow Mountains. Annie's former work colleague, Emer O'Grady, also boarded the same bus as Annie, but got off the bus before Annie did at Milltown. Although Emer and Annie did not speak whilst on the bus, Emer's sighting is considered positive, as she knew Annie personally, having worked with her in the Courtyard restaurant in Donnybrook. It is then presumed that Annie stayed on the bus until it reached Enniskerry just before 5 p.m. Although the bus driver did not recall seeing Annie getting off the bus at Enniskerry, nor did any of the passengers that spoke to Gardee. However, Annie did tell her housemates and friend Anne O'Dwyer that she intended on going to Enniscary that Friday. There was a report of a woman matching Annie's description buying stamps at the post office in Enniscary but the person who provided the report did not know Annie and they were not sure if it was her that they saw. There was also no CCTV at the post office in 1993. Annie, Annie's mother Nancy also disputed this sighting because the woman at the post office bought three local stamps that could only be used in Ireland. Annie only sent letters to people outside of Ireland usually, usually to her parents in her hometown of Bayport, Long Island, New York. The Guardy also found it strange that there was not multiple sightings of Annie McCarrick that Friday especially in such a small village like Enniscary. Annie was 5 foot 8, had long brown curly hair, was wearing a distinctive tweed jacket and spoke with an American accent. Yet nobody in Enniscary could seem to recall her in the village that day. However, in 2020, there was a report with information from a private detective one brian McCarthy, who was hired by the mccarrick family claiming that a woman matching annie's description was seen was seen on friday the 26th in a cafe known as poppies enniscary this particular woman was with a man who bought her a slice of cake after buying the cake they then left the cafe the witness working in the cafe at the time was sure that it was annie mccarrick that they saw but again, they did not know Annie personally. The following day, Saturday, the 27th of March, Hilary Brady and his partner, Rita Fortune, arrived at Annie McCarrick's apartment in Sandymount for a dinner party at 8 pm. After ringing the doorbell several times and noticing that Annie's apartment was completely dark, Hillary Brady decided to ring Nancy McCarrick in New York to get the phone number to Annie's apartment in Dublin. Unfortunately, there was no answer when he called Annie's apartment. Hilary Brady knew Annie well. She was previously in a relationship with his younger brother Philip during 19, 1988. They had met while studying at St. Patrick's College, Drumcondra. Annie had also lived with Hillary and his family in early 1993. In fact, her car was still at Hillary's house when she vanished. The fact Hillary Brady knew Annie well meant that he was worried almost immediately when he discovered she wasn't at her apartment for their arranged dinner party. Annie was punctual and reliable. If she knew that she couldn't make the dinner party, she would have told Hillary this. After ringing Annie's home phone, there was little Hillary could do. He went to a nearby pub with his partner for a drink and then returned to Annie's apartment and called again. But still, there was no answer. Unfortunately, after calling to Annie's apartment twice and ringing her home phone, there was not much else Hillary could do that Saturday night, so he decided to go home. The next day, Sunday the 28th of March, Hilary Brady went to Café Java on Leeson Street in Dublin City to see if Annie had been into work. He was told that Annie had not shown up for her shift the previous day, nor had she been in to collect her wages. This again was considered very unusual behaviour for Annie McCarrick. After leaving Café Java, Hillary Brady phoned Annie's apartment and spoke to Annie's two housemates who had since returned from the countryside. They told him that there was no sign of Annie at the apartment and that the groceries that Annie had bought on Friday morning were still unpacked and left out, which again was described as unusual. The visit to Café Java and phone call to Annie's housemates made hillary brady greatly concerned and he called annie's home in long island new york for the second time that weekend this time he was a lot more concerned and told nancy mccarrick that nobody had seen annie for nearly two days nancy was Im- immediately concerned and took a plane to ireland the following day hillary brady picked nancy up from dublin airport From there they went to Town Garda station and reported Annie missing. Hillary told Garda about the dinner party Annie had missed on Saturday night and also informed them that Annie had missed work that Saturday afternoon. This information coupled with Annie's reliable character made Garda extremely worried and they began an investigation immediately. The Guardi soon established that the last confirmed whereabouts of Annie was at her apartment at 3pm on Friday afternoon. It seemed to Gardaí that Annie boarded a bus in Renla that took her to Enniskerry in the Dublin mountains through information provided by Annie's former work colleague Emer O'Grady. Although the theory that Annie went to Enniskerry that day has been questioned. If in fact Annie did take the 44 bus to Anaskeri that Friday afternoon, she would have reached the village at roughly 5pm that evening. Which seems rather late to begin hiking in such a remote place. With sundown being at 6.45pm that evening. Giving Annie about an hour and 30 minutes to 2 hours of diminishing daylight to hike in. It has often been said that Annie McCarrick had an angelic view of Ireland which made her overly trusting of Irish society and Irish people. So perhaps Annie had no fears about hiking in the Dublin and Wicklow mountains after nightfall. In January of 2014 an interesting article was published by John Murr's University Liverpool. The article was titled In Search of Annie. The article concluded that it was unlikely that Annie went hiking that day. This conclusion was based on behavioural evidence. Annie was wearing cowboy boots that were not suited to hiking in a damp mountainous area. The study also considered the rest of her clothing unsuited to hiking that day. A former FBI agent, Kenneth Strange, who now represents the McCarrick family, has also raised similar concerns about Annie's clothing in relation to their suitability for hiking. The study also looked at the fact that Annie had not unpacked her groceries and concluded that this could be due to Annie leaving her apartment in a rush to attend a quickly arranged meeting with the intention of keeping the other party's identity quiet. Clearly, though, this is all just conjecture, but interesting nonetheless. welcome back and thank you for listening for so long as the Gardaí made numerous public appeals they were contacted by a man named Sam Doran who worked as a security guard at the famous Glen Cullen pub known as Johnny Fox's, in the Dublin and Wicklow mountains Sam Doran told Gardaí while at work on the night of Friday the 26th of March he saw Annie McCarrick in the pub with a man he described the man as between the ages of 24 and 28 5 foot 9 in height athletically built with brown hair and a square jaw Sam described the man and woman as being friendly with each other so much so that when Sam stopped the woman from entering an area of the pub because there was a cover charge the man Paid the cover charge another security guard named Paul O'Reilly also told Gardy that he saw a woman matching Annie McCarrick's description in Johnny Fox's that night Johnny Fox's is roughly 8km from Enniscary a walk that would take an estimated an hour and 30 minutes if Annie da- did reach Enniscary that day at 5pm it would allow her plenty of time to walk to Johnny Fox's. Sam doran thinks he saw Annie at 9 30 pm that night. As Sam doran did not know Annie, his account has long been questioned and some have wondered if it could be a case of mistaken identity. There was another American woman in Johnny Fox's that night that looked somewhat similar to Annie McCarrick. It was questioned if this was a case of mistaken identity by Sam Doran but the other American woman was with her mother that night and a man did not pay for her to enter a concert in the pub. To this day Sam Doran is adamant that he saw Annie McCarrick in Johnny Fox's that night. In the months and years following Annie's disappearances there has been numerous public appeals ran documentaries and TV shows produced and books and articles written but no trace of any has ever been found the possessions she had with her a 30-inch gold chain with a crucifix and a pink locket, her grandmother's wedding ring a gold signet ring a gold Rolex and a large brown leather bag have never been found Two things that I did find interesting while researching Annie's case was two separate gaps in time. The first gap in time being on the morning afternoon of Friday the 26th. Annie purchased her groceries from Quinsworth at exactly 11.01am that morning. Then she walked to the AIB bank to change her address. A walk that would take less than a minute. So Annie would have reached the bank sometime around 11.05am that morning. It is reported that Annie reached her apartment just before 3pm that afternoon. Leaving again at 315 Even if Annie spent an hour in the bank. She would have left the bank just after 12pm. Which would leave a 3 hour gap in time between Annie leaving the bank and reaching her apartment at 3pm. Her apartment was just a 5 minute walk from the bank. Annie did phone her two friends Hilary Brady and Anna Dwyer, at some stage that day. The reports on what time Annie made these phone calls are conflicting. Some reports claim Annie called her friends from a payphone when out visiting the bank and shop whilst others claim that Annie called her friends from her apartment after returning home at 3pm. Either way it is highly unlikely that these phone calls can explain the near 3 hour gap in Annie's day between roughly 12pm and 3pm. The items Annie bought from the shop that day at 11am were ingredients for making apple tarts that would have been perishable yet it seems Annie kept them with her from 11am to 3pm that day and when Annie reached home she didn't put the perishable ingredients straight into the fridge. This seems highly unusual behaviour for someone as organised and responsible as Annie McCarrick. The estimated three hour gap in Annie's day is interesting but it must be said that the Gardaí may be aware of what Annie was doing during this time and for whatever reason have not released this information to the public. The second gap in time really depends on whether Annie was in Johnny Fox's on the night of the the 26th. As previously mentioned, Sam Doran's sighting of Annie has long been disputed. If Annie did take the bus to Enniscary that day, she would have reached there just before five PM. Johnny Fox's is, is five and a half km, kilometers from Enniscary a walk that would take an hour and twenty minutes. Now there was two possible sightings of Annie McCarrick in Enniskerry, at Poppy's Cafe and the post office. The potential sighting at Poppy, Poppy's Café was just after 5pm and the man and woman the witness saw bought some cake and then left. The possible second sighting at the post office could have been no later than 5.30pm as all post offices in Ireland close at this time. No further sightings of any around Enniskerry or the surrounding area have ever been reported to the public thus leaving a near four hour gap in time until Sam Doran's possible sighting in Johnny Fox's at 9.30. Of course Annie could have been in the pub before Sam Doran saw her at 9.30 but no one has ever come forward to say that they saw Annie in the pub before then despite widespread appeals from the Gardaí. Again Gardaí may be aware of information that explains this possible gap in time and have not released this information to the public. Now, I just want to go through a quick timeline of some significant events in the years following Annie's disappearance. In 1994, John McCarrick, Annie's father, returned to Ireland and offered a 100 a $150,000 reward for information that could lead to the return of his daughter John McCarrick had also hired a private investigator Brian McCarty but despite an extensive investigation coupled with the reward money Annie could still not be found in 2003 retired FBI agent and friend of the McCarrick family Kenneth Strange began representing the family he has managed to get the FBI to open a case on Annie's disappearance and been to Ireland to personally investigate the case whilst keeping Annie's case in the public domain during 2008 the Gardaí reopened the case and two new suspects were identified these two individuals were interviewed by Gardaí at Bray Garda station in October of 2008 but they were never arrested or charged. At the time of Annie's disappearance, both suspects were said to be living in the Wicklow area. In 2014, retired Garda Garda detective Alan Bailey released a book in which he stated that a credible suspect had been established. This particular individual was a member of the IRA and supposedly killed Annie because he Revealed too much information to her about the IRA despite the fact this claim was made almost 10 years ago nothing has ever come of it even though this alleged suspect now lives in America where the FBI have an open file on this case during 2020 an American lawyer named Michael Griffith announced that he had a new lead on the case concerning a suspect that knew Annie and who may have gone out with Annie at some stage. Michael Griffith's belief is that Annie never went to Johnny Fox's on the 26th of March and that she vanished sometime after reaching Enniskerry. However, perhaps the most significant events in Annie's case have come in the last few months. On the 24th of March, 2023, Annie's disappearance was upgraded to a murder inquiry, thus allowing vital resources to be added to the investigation. Whilst announcing the upgrade to a murder inquiry, Gardi also released information regarding a brown leather bag that Annie had in her possession when she vanished. The Gardie had hoped that Annie's killer may have kept the bag with it, with them, but on the twenty fourth of April this year, numerous reports emerged claiming that two men had found Annie's bag in nineteen ninety three behind Kylie's pub in Donnybrook. The man the men claimed that they had handed the bag over to Gardy at this time. As of now, this incident is currently being investigated. On the first of April, it was announced that the main geographical focus of the case would be on Sandy Mount the south dublin suburb where Annie lived this refocus was due to the identification of a suspect who lived in Sandy Mount at the time of Annie's disappearance it is not known however if this person was known to Annie and lastly two very recent reports have emerged the first concerns two brothers being identified as suspects these two individuals were first questioned by Gardy in 1993 when they were considered just, a per, just persons of interest they were questioned by Gardy at a future date but that has not been made known to the public the second report concerns faxes that were sent to Gardy by Annie's friends, stating that Annie McCarrick had been assaulted and harassed by someone she knew in the weeks before she vanished. Clearly the investigation is very active at the moment and new reports are emerging almost daily but as of yet no arrests have been made and most importantly Annie has not yet been found. Hopefully, both of these things will change in the near future. Thank you for listening. Most importantly, this episode and podcast is dedicated to Annie McCarrick. In the next episode of the series, I'll be covering another missing persons case, this time from July 1993. Now, just to finally thank some people my family for their patience Soundcaster Studios Daniel Lim for IT the Instagram page known as coffee, wine and crime 2022 ran by the brilliant hell she really has put together some great Instagram stories on numerous Irish cold cases so please give them a follow Thanks to the authors and journalists, Barry Cummings and Sarah McInerney. And finally, I want to thank the Kildare-based singer-songwriter, Rory Glanders, who who sings and wrote the song I Will Now Play. Thank you for listening.